Hey everyone, this is Tina Spangler with TLC Barrels and welcome to my podcast. So this one I'm going to do a little extra one this week because I had a few other questions come in. The first question was about how do you get confidence when you're just starting out? Well, that's not easy. It's something you have to find inside of yourself. Um, For instance, in my case, um, when you look at these you know, in a far riders and people like that, there's always a lot more you don't see behind the scenes, like the struggles and the pain and the hard work and all of that. And you're right, a lot of them have a big support system and that will give you more confidence when you have that, you know, and some of them have money and can go out and buy a really nice horse that can give you confidence. But then there's some of us without anybody, no money, no Uh, family to help no you know no mentor you're just doing it out there on your own trying to figure it out you just have a passion you have a huge heart to want to do it and you have a will to want to do it and that's enough I can tell you it's enough it won't be easy but it is enough so in my situation um I moved away from my family. I had no family when I moved to Colorado. It was just my husband. And he was trying to climb the corporate ladder. So he was gone a lot. And I was working a city job in Denver and not happy, you know, and had a passion. I had, you know, we were knocking out some dreams together. We, you know, were able to get out of our rental house and buy five acres with a nice house and a barn. And um, I had got my horse and and then I got a second horse and my goals were to train them by myself to become 1D, 2D horses and then start taking in a training horse, take in lessons and just start one horse and rider at a time. And that's how Ride With Heart came to be, to put the horse first 100% of the time over the competition. You know, don't run them when they're sore, even if it's forfeiting entry keys, all of that. Um, and also, you know, scratch, I've scratched many super shows because my horse didn't feel ready because I was too scared that I'd go out there and tear a tendon or, or, you know, worse, you know, I just, you know, strain a ligament, whatever. And, um, it, and it would be a horrible feeling in your gut to know that you caused your horse to be hurt worse because you were greedy and ran when you should have rested him. So, um, that's where that came from. And a horse shouldn't be a commodity. A horse should be something you love and respect and care about. I'm not saying you have to be married to him for life or that you have to keep him forever, even though I do. Um, But I do feel like you do need, it's your responsibility to find the right home, the right fit for them. You don't have to sell them to someone that you know is not the right home or right fit for them. Um, I do feel like um, the best way you can build your confidence if you have nobody and you're starting out is write down your goals, know what your dreams are. And my dream was to have my own horse training business and make my own horses 1D, 2D level. And I didn't have much money. So I'd go out and buy $2,000 horses, $3,000 max, and they'd be green broke. And I'd finish their basics and teach them the pattern, haul them to season them and all of that. And sure enough, they each won me so much because I just focused and dedicated myself to learning everything I could. I read every book, watched every video, went to every clinic, took private lessons with people that I saw were really good in the industry in my area or that I thought I could ride behind. I liked their style or the way that they did things. 
Um, I liked what they stood for, some, some of them. Um, you know, just different things out there. Um, and that's how I learned. So, Callie and Cash in Colorado won me many 1D and 2D titles, qualified me for World every single year in MBHA. When it, that was the early 90s when MBHA first started. I have like a four-digit member number because I joined the very, I think the second year it started. I didn't join the first year because I was like, what is this? And then I joined the second year. So I have a four-digit member number. Um, and then uh, I did WPRA rodeos in Colorado with them. And that's something that I was never, that's the one area that I never got to go as much as I wanted. I'd buy a permit and I'd only get to like five in a year. And that was because I was always strapped for finances because I was training horses, doing lessons and raising my son while my husband worked and traveled. So I just didn't have the ability to take off and go like that. You know, that was one area that I was unable to to go as much as I'd like financially um, because seasoning is going to cost you. I would make 5000 and I would spend 5000 to keep going because you have more upkeep. You've got upkeep on your truck and trailer, more gas, more oil changes, tires. You've got your horse needs more MagnaWave, uh, chiropractic, shoeing to, to handle rodeo conditions. Um, entry fees are going to be higher. You're going to win less because of the competition's more fierce. So, you know, I'd go to super shows and jackpots to help pay for the rodeos, um, you know, and, and that stuff. But like I said, you'd win 5,000, you'd spend 5,000. So it was something that you weren't profiting at. And my budget, I always ran my business on such a tight budget that I had to pick shows that I thought I could grab a check at. That's how I tried to enter. I didn't run my horses at pins I knew they didn't like or conditions that they didn't excel in. Um, once I seasoned them, I'd pick and choose who ran where based on who I thought could get a check there. And every horse is going to be like that unless you have that unicorn horse that just runs great, big, small, deep, hard, all of that. So, um, so anyways, those are things to consider. Um, but I just had a, I had a really strong will. Um, to learn, to keep going, to, and people were mean to me along the way. Some people would say that's nothing better than a 3D horse or you're nothing better than a 3D rider. And I just would ignore them and they would fuel my fire. They kind of make me mad, you know, that they were that mean, that mean girl, you know, and I would just keep going. And, um, and then I started loving the training part of it so much that I actually, enjoyed training more than competition. I loved the journey with the horse, the process with the horse. I loved um, the clients. I loved seeing the clients be happy that they figured something out with their horse. Um, so I actually learned to enjoy the training more than the competition. For 19 years in Florida, I lived next to 500 acres of cow pastures and I spent more time out there with horses and dogs riding than I did in anything in my last 20 years of my life. When my son was at school, you would find me out on those uh, 500 acres riding. And I just enjoyed spending time with horses and dogs more than anything. I'd like to go barrel race once a week, but six days a week, five days a week, you're going to find me out there. Um, I just love training horses. I love that bond. So um, I think you have to love it to do it because it's not something you're necessarily going to get rich at. And sadly, a lot of trainers take in too many horses just to pay the bills and they don't do it the right way. Um, 
I would only take in, when I was in my prime, five horses, and then as I got older, three horses. Um, so I was riding about eight a day in my prime because I had three of my own to ride, and then they would only need 30 minutes every other day. And then clients' horses got rode for a minimum of an hour, five days a week, <clears throat> and then sometimes I'd haul them too. And, they, and the owners usually came for one lesson a week as well. So, so you know, it's a juggly. It's a, it's a lot to juggle because we usually tried to have a family day when my husband was home on the weekends. Um, I would go comp- compete one day a week. Um, some super shows snuck in there in a year. And then, um, and then of course, I was riding and giving lessons at least five days a week. So, so yeah, it was definitely a challenge like for anybody to balance it all. Uh, but fortunately, when you work from home, you don't have the travel time on in the road. You don't have to work after dark. You know, when daylight savings, um, you don't have to go to work in the dark. You know, you've got the entire daylight that you can work around the cold or the heat or the rain showers. So in that way, there's a lot of um, consistency to being able to dedicate to riding. And that's something that builds your confidence. People that work so much or go to school so much and only get to ride one horse once or twice a week, you're not going to have confidence in yourself or your horse. So absolutely spend time, you know, if you can get in the, every horse you can, as many hours a week you can, that's what you need to do. So I was fortunate to, you know, get to ride eight horses every, you know, day during the week and then at least three on the weekends. And, you know, it just really increases your horsemanship and your level of riding, not to mention learning how to ride all the different types of horses because there's no cookie cutter training. You might have growers who say, oh, I only like this style of horse. Well, I didn't have that luxury as a trainer. I had to learn to ride the free runner, the push horse, the horse that you'd float to one barrel and drive to the other two barrels, um, the horse that was sensitive or fractious, the horse that was lazy or pushy, the horse that was stiff or overbendy. I, I had to learn to adapt to every style of horse, four-wheel drive, front-endy, um, rollbacky. You know, there's just so many styles and personalities, horsenalities out there, and you just have to learn to adapt to them. So I would say that was something that was really important to me as well in my process. But I just knew that that was my goal. I wanted my own horse training business and I wanted to make my own 1D, 2D barrel horses. So in Colorado, it was Cali and Cash and I, I just was proud of all the buckles and world, world qualifications and such they made for me. Um, I actually had someone tell me Cali couldn't ever be a 1D horse um, in Colorado. And when I took her to state one year, uh, she ended up in, uh, the top 10 placing in one go around in the top 10 of the 1d and they in colorado back in the 90s they had like 250 at their um finals not like you know florida now with 800 900 for the mbha state finals but so it wasn't something she did on a regular basis it wasn't something we always had fire and turn together you know um we were in the 2d more than the 1d but um i I was proud of us for doing it because there's nothing worse than someone poo-pooing on your dream. And I do hate when people say, do you think this horse has what it takes to be a 1D horse? And it's literally just in its, you know, learning stages of its basics and starting the barrel pattern. I can tell you when I get on a horse, if I feel like a horse has that 
that little bit of it factor when it comes to being handy, you know, if they feel like they've got fire and athletic ability and, you know, want to hunt a barrel, raid a barrel, things like that. I can tell then sometimes if a horse can be a 1D, 2D horse, um, you know, but if someone's got a horse that's a slow, slow learner or late bloomer, they may not come on for two or three years, four years. You know, you can't just say the first 60 days, yeah, I think this horse has what it takes. Um, so even the first year of their novice year, the fraternity year, it's hard when people poo-poo on a horse. My mare Maggie, um, she did fraternities in uh, Georgia before I owned her as a four-year-old and she was 3D, but then she became 1D with 250 riders, 150 riders with me in her open years. So sometimes a horse that doesn't um, make it at the top 1D, 2D in fraternity or derby years and their open years finally blossom and mature because let's face it guys, two to five, two to six, those are still babies. In the dressage world, the Olympic dressage, they don't even get on them till they're four and we're looking for 1D times at four. So you have to be realistic. Some horses bloom in their teens. If you look at the NFR nowadays, there are five-year-olds, four-year-olds running at the NFR, but for many years, it was horses in their mid to late teens at the NFR. So, um, so you know, those are things, and there still are. Um, you you just have to not judge a horse by its age um, or where it's at in its training. You don't know. You don't have a crystal ball. If the right person um, sticks with that horse, if it's the right fit, if that horse just decides to come on, you know, you just don't know. So anyhow, back to getting confident, um, that's what I would recommend. You just don't listen to any negativity. You stay focused on your goals. You work at it in every way you can, you know, listen to podcasts when you drive down the road. Uh, get on your horses as much as possible, uh, clinics, lessons, virtual coaching groups like mine, you know, just have it in your brain constantly. And that's how you get better at it. It keeps you inspired. It keeps you motivated. Um, it's just stuff that grows you towards it. And honestly, you're, there's a, a quote by, I think it was Muhammad Ali about, um, you have to have skill to succeed, but more important is will. And I would agree with that because skill is something you can learn as you go. But if you don't have the will to get out there and ride when it's wet and cold or hot and humid, or just rather go hang out with your friends on the boat, you know, and stuff, or just go shopping, whatever, you have to want it. You know what I mean? You have to want it over hanging out with your buddies, um, you know, all of that stuff. So I, I've done it straight for 29 years and there was a point in time when I wanted to compete hard because I wanted to prove my horses. My horses were a business card for my business. And, um, and now that I'm older and I feel like I have enough uh, one and enough clients um, references and I'm, you know, aging and my body's not what it was. I just, um, I'm happier coaching. I love the coaching, the clinics, the lessons. Um, that makes me happy now, just as I enjoyed the training more than I did the competition back then. But I still enjoy my horses. I want to go out there and brush them and ride them. I like uh, using them for videos for my group. Um, I want to start hauling to little stuff to Exhibition Rocky and eventually enter. I would like to run Briscoe every now and again because um, she's still young and healthy, 19. 
And um, I've had her since she was three. Her fraternity year was when she was five. My other three mares are retired. Um, sister has a sore hip now, and Maggie's got a sore right front. And Belle's fine. Belle could do something, but I feel like she's earned her retirement. She's 24. She could be a great little lesson horse, I suppose. Um, you know, if it was someone who wanted to come and groom her and learn how to ride or or, or whatever, but I just don't want any of them to have to work super hard. You know, like a little 4-H halter horse, they could be happy, those three girls, but they're just happy out in the pasture. You know, and I hate, I hate my feed bill every month with the hay being as expensive as it is, but I can sleep at night knowing that they're not being abused or starved or anything else because of all the many wonderful years they gave me. It's not a luxury I should be doing by any means, um, but is also, you know, a duty, I feel like. So I pray God, um, God provides and I have faith and believe in TLC. And if I bust my butt, um, it'll be strong enough to take care of me and my horses into our golden years. So those are, um, my, my own challenges and my own, uh, goals with my, uh, future. And that's what I mean. You just have to have that belief and that faith. Um, and that's then the working hard and the will to do it. You know, you could give up and go get a job at Lowe's, but would you be happy? No. You know, would you have a, a steady payroll? I mean, I had a GED, you guys, from high school. I didn't go to college. Um, you know, I married someone with a degree and um, I... I didn't have the family structure. My parents divorced when I was eight, so I didn't ever have any of that, you know. I just had my own belief in me to find a way to do what I loved, and that's what I did. So, you know, I didn't have that luxury, and a lot of you don't. And I see there's there's youth in my group that have so much talent, but they come from a background like me and um, don't have the parent that can afford to put them in a fancy rig and haul them many miles up and down the, tr the road. So I'm hoping that they can find cash sponsors to help with that and the parents can find a way to get, you know, them up and down the road and because they've got the talent, they have the desire and they have the horse. And, um, and when you have it, when your horse, I will say this, when your horse is there, when your horse is winning, you need to go. Because there's only a certain amount of time that a horse stays in a winning factor. In some, it could be one or two seasons. Others, it could be many seasons. But there will be a time when they get lame or sore or break down. And you have to be ready for that as well. So if you don't go when you're hot, you know, you might miss that chance. So that's something I want to point out as well. There was a couple other questions about warming up a hot horse versus a laid back horse. And in my group, I'm going to be doing challenges like that. Dry work and drills for the laid back horse versus a hot horse. I'm also going to talk about uh, warm ups. I'll be making video tips on warm ups for laid back and hot horses. I have done podcasts and Q&As on that in the past, as well as um, keeping your mental game simple and confident for yourself. Um, so those are things that watch for video clips in the group. But I will say this, a hot horse, you're going to want to get there early, do a long and slow warm up. Um, you know, it will consist more of walking and maybe just sit jogging. Um, you may not do, uh, you might do smaller circles, work on whoa, loose rein, whoa, rollbacks. Um, 
you know, you're going to think, keep things a little bit tighter and smaller and slower and your laid back course, you might find a bigger area to long trot more and lope gigantic circles to free them up. Um, you know, but all of them, you still want to feel a little bit of shoulder control, a little bit of rib cage control, a little bit of softness in their face. I don't like the nose cranked in big time um, because if you crank the nose and don't get the shoulder rib, you lose the hip. And a lot of people don't realize that. They just try to get the nose and they don't worry about, they don't focus on the shoulder and the rib cage and then their butt swings. So you want to keep those front and back feet on the same track. You want to keep forward motion, even if it's extended or collected. Um, but you don't want to crank a nose where you float a shoulder or swing a hip. And that's really important to be aware of too. So I'll be making videos on that as well. Um, and then some horses do better if you exhibition, some better, better if you don't, some do better if you gate them, some better if you don't. Um, you have to really know your horses, so I'm going to do some little videos on that as well. Mental game is something that people can overcomplicate, but knowing your horse, and um, especially like December, you might have one show left for the year and it matters for points and you're starting to get yourself wound up about it. and. I can tell you this, don't do that because if you get pressuring yourself and worried about the outcome, you're going to ride very poorly. But if you stay focused that it's just any other barrel race, just like the barrel races that have gotten you to this point to where you can be winning something possibly at the year end, do that run. Stay calm and focused. Do your job. Let your horse do its job. Trust your horse. Trust your preparation. And, um, and and be prepared and just stay relaxed and have fun and enjoy it and just focus on doing your job riding to your spots and communicating properly with your horse for your go rate and turn cues um, if you do that your outcome is going to be good worry about the stuff you can control not the stuff you can't and also if you get caught up in all of the uh, emotions and pressure you're gonna um, not ride as well. You're just going to ride stiff and mechanical and you're going to get behind your horse or ahead of your horse. You're going to override, underride. That's why it's important to be in the moment. Let your timing and fill, your autopilot be there for you. All the work that you put in the past year, practice slow work. Let that be where your focus is. Just be in the moment. Do, ride, ride your horse. Do your job. The more you focus on the basics, the fundamentals, and keep your mind clear and just have one or two things you're thinking on, and that's for me, it's always been my arc and my spot one and two. If I focused on getting to those positions, I'd get my horse in the hole and they would do their job. And the rest, I had to be in the moment. If they were running hard, I'd sit earlier. If they were lazy, I'd drive a little deeper. Um, you know, when to ask them to start their turn or help them if they needed it. Um, you know, I, I like to smooch and hustle on the backside. If I know they've committed to the turn, I like to start, you know, add my leg and smooching from spot two to three to get that drive out. Even though I'm sitting, I'm still riding through the turn with my legs. And that's something that riders have to remember to do as well. You know, the hands low and forward and riding more with your eyes, your body and your legs um, and not so much with your hands. Uh, sitting in the middle of your horse, not leaning. All those things are what you really should focus on, not winning a buckle or saddle. And um, if you do your job, they can do their job. So that's important as well. 
Another person asked me about ice boots for Christmas and also an injury for icing. What's the best thing? I don't have a lot of experience with ice boots. I, I don't know what all's out there, but I do have my set that I've used for many years, the professional choice ice boots. I have four. They don't take up much room in the freezer. I can use them on my own knees or shoulders or hips when I'm sore. Um, but actually they just fit in the freezer and you can throw them in your ice chest in your truck or in your freezer in your living quarters. Um, they don't, again, take up space and they go right underneath your professional boots, professional choice leg boots. So after a run, you can stick them on. Um, and I just leave them on until they melt, which is 10 or 15 minutes. And, um, and I might even do it after I cold hose or I may just throw them on right under the boots when I'm done with my run. I definitely would leave them on for the injuries 10 15 minutes if you're you know treating something at home and if you can do it two or three times a day that'd be awesome and then you just throw them back in the freezer now i know there's other kind that are battery operated and such like ice vibes and there's other ones that you can plug into things and there's some fancy ones on the market but those work good for me they didn't take up a lot of space i really liked them Another one was about a fracture. I have dealt with a fracture before in a horse's hoof, and um, she had to have her foot in a shoe to kind of cast it and keep it steady. She had to have stall rest in a small paddock. She was off for about six months, but it healed completely. I did put her on TLC Nutrition's Equibone, and I also used the um, product uh, Poultice called, I think, a Runner's Relief, and. Um, all of those things I think help the bone heal faster. I've also used it with tendon and ligament injuries as well. Um, so anyways, there are things that can help uh, speed that up, but you definitely want to follow your vet, um, what your vet tells you to do to a T because it's important that they, they don't overdo it during that time frame. Um, but don't be too despaired. Um, some fractures can heal and some li ligaments and tendons um, can heal. Um, so, you know, give them that chance to do so. So anyways, I hope I answered everybody's questions and look for the group to have a bunch of short video clips for challenges and tips um, in the year of 2022. I'm gonna be covering everything for you from groundwork, dry work, drills, uh, pattern, fixing problems, adding speed, shaving off time, um, details for riders cues horses body position foundation we're going to cover it all so 2022 is going to be a lot of fun and um, thank you guys for tuning in and as always ride with heart and god bless